take your Bibles and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as I'm kind of um, been preaching the last two or three weeks about the grace of God, we looked after VBS week about God's purposes of grace um, in saving us and creating us for good works, um, and out of Ephesians chapter 2, and then last week we talked about persevering, that God working in us, causing us to persevere, and how do we persevere even in the midst of difficulties and struggles, and this morning I'm going to preach out of 1 Corinthians 15, 10, a sermon that I've entitled, By God's Grace. Um, this is one of the most famous passages of the Apostle Paul, um, and before I begin, just by way of introduction, many of us as we have grew up, uh, many of us grew up in Christian homes and Christian circles singing a famous hymn, the, 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 the Baptist anthem of Amazing Grace. Uh, many of us have heard the story about John Newton, who was, the, who was a slave trader who met Jesus and, and was radically transformed by his grace. Um, John Newton is much like Paul in that regard, a tremendous change by the transforming power of God's grace. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but John Newton's epitaph reads this. This is what it says. Um, of John Newton. It says, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith that he had long labored to destroy. And one writer commenting on that says this of John Newton. says, grace did not free him to serve no master, but a new master. Grace did not free John Newton to serve no master, but a new master. He was pardoned from the mastery of sin to serve Jesus as Lord and Master. So that is Paul's story as well. A story of the transforming grace of God. This grace that saves us, holds us so that we can persevere, and it works in us to accomplish God's purposes. So look here at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at verse 10. Paul says this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, speaking of the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. I want to preach a very simple sermon this morning on the grace of God, and I want to have three things I want to say. The first one is I want you to notice the purpose of grace. Look there in verse 10, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Notice the, the grace, notice the purpose of God's grace in making Paul particularly who Paul is. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So when you ask Paul, how do you understand your life? How do you understand your life? Paul's answer is going to be that I primarily understand myself and my position in regards to the grace of God that has come to me in Jesus. I understand who I am in reference to the grace of God that has come to me 
in Jesus. It is God's grace that has made Paul who he is. It has shaped and molded him throughout his whole life, even, hear this, even before he knew Jesus. Even before he knew Jesus, God's grace was active and working to shape Paul into who he would be for God's purposes. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 1. He says, but when he, speaking of God, but when he who had set me apart before I was born. Paul says, I was set apart before I was born and by him who called me by his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So in Paul's mind, all that he is, good, bad, and ugly, all that Paul is is the product of the unmerited sovereign grace of God. His entire existence and being is all of God's grace for God's purposes. And listen, those purposes included for Paul even his past, his upbringing, his God's patience, even as he was a Pharisee and persecutor of the church. And God's grace now includes Paul's salvation, his transformation, his calling, and his apostolic mission to preach Jesus among the Gentiles and plant churches. Paul says all of that is God's grace. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Second, see the purpose of God's grace and its effectiveness towards Paul. Notice, notice what Paul says. He says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. The grace of God, this means that it was not without effect. It was not without effect. It was not in vain or empty or without results or without purpose. God's grace was effective. That's the word that you need to know. God's grace was effective and productive in Paul. It was working in him. Paul saw that God's grace was present in his past, even when he was a vile persecutor of the church. God's grace was present. He was set apart from the womb before he was born. And he says that God, he knows that God's grace is productive in his present. Even today, Paul would say, I am what I am by the grace of God. And the grace of God would continue to his future. All of his life was of God's grace. Now here is what we need to understand about this. We need to be able to say the same thing that Paul says. We have to see our own lives, in our own lives, the purposes of God's grace. Now take a moment here. This is family reflective time. I don't know everyone's past. I don't know everyone's story. But if you're in this room today, I want you to just think back about your life. Just think back for a moment. Think about who you were before you met Jesus. Think about the patience of God towards you. Think about the continued care and compassion of Christ throughout your life. Now ask yourself this question, what will keep me now until the day I meet Jesus? And the answer is God's grace. The answer is grace. God's purpose 
of grace in your life is what, is what allows you to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I know I'm a failure. I know I have struggled. I know I mess up. I know that I have my own sinful tendencies and my own battles and my own struggles. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but it was at work in me. Now, that's why, that's why even Newton, in, amaz- in, his, in his most famous psalm, song, Amazing Grace, you have that famous line, God's grace has brought me safe thus far, and his grace will lead me home. That is the purpose of grace in our lives. But notice second, the pardon of grace. There's not only the purpose of God's grace, there's the pardon of it. Look back in verses 8 and 9 of our text. Look what Paul says in the, in the verses prior to verse 10. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, Jesus appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. When Paul met Jesus, and he met the grace, the grace that was present for him in Jesus, everything changed about Paul. He calls himself here as one that was untimely born and the least of all of the apostles. He said, I wasn't running around with Jesus. That's not what I was doing. I was a persecutor of the church. I was an unworthy blasphemer. A persecutor and destroyer of God's people. Now, is all of that true? Yes. All of that is true. And none of that matters because of God's grace. All of that that Paul was, was irregardless of the grace given to him. We tend to think that we are earning God's grace by the things that we do. And Paul is saying, no, everything, all, all, of, all of who I am is worthless, unworthy. There is nothing in me that is good. God did not save me because I was worth saving. It was all because of the purpose of his grace and that he brought me pardon. Now let's remember Paul's story. Again, he says, this is who I was. Paul speaks about his story throughout the New Testament. In Philippians 3, he says this about himself. He says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's who I was. That's who I was. And then he says over in Galatians, he says to them, he says, you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. That's who Paul was. And then something happened. Something happened. The unmerited, by the unmerited favor of God, Paul the blasphemer became Paul the believer. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul the persecutor of those who had experienced grace became Paul the preacher of the gospel of grace. And Paul would go on to write in Ephesians 2 about the pardon of grace. He would say there, after he talks about us being dead in our sins and slaves to sin and slaves to Satan and under the wrath of God, without a hope in the world, Paul writes about the pardon of grace. He says there, 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which, he had, with, 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 with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ. Paul was pardoned by grace. He was able to write that, it, like in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore there is now no, sorry, Romans 5, 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I now have peace. And then in Romans chapter 8, 8 verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I am now redeemed, adopted, secured in Jesus, I have been pardoned, not because I deserved it or because I earned it, but because of the free pardoning power of God's grace. And here's the question. Do you know the pardon of grace? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Do you know the peace that the pardon of grace brings? Because on the day you stand before Jesus, all you will have is whether or not you receive the grace of Christ or whether you clung to your own righteousness. Do you know the pardon of grace? And then finally, notice not only the purpose of God's grace and the pardon of God's grace, but finally notice the power of God's grace. The power, the transforming power of God's grace. Look at there at verse 10. He says again, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Do you see Paul's argument here? Paul is saying that God's grace is a powerful grace. God's grace is a working grace. Paul says that it was the grace of God with him that was working in him for God's glory and purposes. It was not Paul, even though he was working, but it was God's grace at work in him. And Paul's point is that God's grace provides the power in us to do the work that is necessary. Hear me. Christian ministry and Christian work is not absent of God's grace. In fact, it presumes its presence from the very beginning. Christian ministry assumes that God's grace is at work in us, accomplishing God's purposes through us. And so what this means is that God's grace does not produce passive, lazy do-nothings. Let that sink in for just a second. The grace of God that Paul is describing here in, in 1 Corinthians 15 does not produce passivity. Like, let's just sit back and soak it up. Let's just sit on the bench and watch the pastors and the ministers and the Sunday school teachers do what they do because they're super Christians and they have everything figured out. I'm just going to sit here and soak in the grace of God. That's not what Paul says. No, Paul says that what God's grace does is it produces passion for the work of God. That's what the grace of God does. So here's the question. Is Paul really working? 
you bet. He's going town to town, preaching Jesus, working as a tent maker. People are throwing stones at him. They're running him out of town. He's been shipwrecked. He's been tried to be thrown to the lions. He's received the 40 lashes. He's went before magistrates and judges. He's been held in prison. Yeah, Paul is toiling and striving and laboring, yes. But the question is, what is producing that in Paul? What is producing that kind of effort and that kind of work and that kind of, that kind of attitude towards it? And the answer is God's powerful, transforming grace. And this is why. God must be glorified in the work and not us. Why must God provide the grace so that we can do the work? It's so that He can be glorified, not us. Another way to say this um, and so anyway, in, in Paul's life, what this is, this is God-glorifying, grace-empowered effort that is at work in Paul and what should be at work in us. Another way to say it is that Paul believes in practicing grace. It is a practical grace that acts and moves. Now, let me say it this way. Here it is in a nutshell. If you claim to be a follower of Christ... And the grace you claim to have received, because we're saved by grace, doesn't produce in you practical results, meaning it does not work in you for God's purposes, then you don't have the same grace that Paul is talking about here. So whatever you have, it's not this. This is a transforming grace. We absolutely believe that we're saved by grace apart from works of the law. But that grace is a transforming, effective grace that works in us to produce in us what God desires. So let me just give you an illustration. I read this story in my studies this week, and I, I thought it was good. Um, uh, this was the story. Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker both had churches in London in the 19th century. On one occasion, Parker commented on the poor condition of children admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. Spurgeon ran an orphanage, and uh, Pastor Parker just commented on the, on the dire straits of those children. says, it was reported to Spurgeon, however, that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. Spurgeon blasted Parker on the next week from the pulpit. That even happened back then. You know, and the social media headline would have said, Spurgeon claps back at Pastor Parker. Those are the dumbest headlines ever. That's what happened. So Spurgeon blasted Parker the next week from the pulpit. The attack was printed in the newspapers and became the talk of London. People flocked to Parker's church the next Sunday, not to hear his sermon, but to hear his rebuttal. Surely he's going to take on Spurgeon and tear him down too. This is what it says. This is, this is what it is. This is the quote. When Parker mounted the pulpit, he said this, I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today, and this is the Sunday they used to take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest we take a love offering here instead. The crowd was delighted. The ushers emptied the collection plate three times. Later that week, there was a knock at Parker's study. It was Spurgeon, and this is what he is reported to have said, quote, 
You know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. You have not given me what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. That's what the grace of God does in us. That is the grace of God. It is the practice of grace. It is the power and practice of grace that must be at work in us if God is to be glorified. Listen, if that power is our own power, then we should receive the glory instead of God. So we have to be careful in our thinking and in our activities and in our ministries and in our own pursuit of holiness and in our own pursuit of seeing righteousness done that we don't try to do God's work in our power. That's not what Paul is doing here. Paul is claiming that God's grace is the power at work in him for the glory of Christ, not for the glory of Paul. That's why he says, yet it was not I but it was the grace of God at work in me. Listen, I've heard it said from a lot of different pastors, the Christian life isn't difficult, it's impossible. And that's the truth. God does not, God does not ever expect us to do any of these things in our own power. He has given us the power of His Spirit living in us, the, the power of His Word, and the sustaining power and transforming power of His grace in us to change us. And that is the truth that Paul is teaching us in 1 Corinthians 15. And it's also the same truth that the rest of the New Testament preaches over and over again. Let me give you, i got a few minutes, let me give you some Bible. Listen, listen to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says there. Pay attention to these words. You might want to turn to a few of these places. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 beginning at verse 12 about God's power at work. This isn't Paul doing these things on his own or seeking his own glory. This is, this is God's work in him. He says in verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though I formerly was a blasphemer and persecutor and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now verse 14, this is so good. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What produced the love and the faith and the work in Paul? He says, the grace of the Lord overflowed in me, producing this in me. It was grace. Listen to what Peter says about it in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says this, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So if God's given you a gift, you use it according to the grace given to you. And then he says this, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. So Paul says if you're going to serve, Peter says if you're going to serve... You better serve in the strength God supplies so that God's glorified and not you. This is God at work in us. Or 2 Thessalonians. Listen to 2 Thessalonians. Paul says this, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in Him, oh, listen to this, according to the grace 
of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here says that there's every that he expects every work of faith to be accomplished. He says that you do that through the power supplied so that God's name will be glorified. And he says all of that is according to the grace given to you. It is all by God's grace. Now as I conclude, I want to say that when we understand God, the power of God's grace, when we understand the pardon of God's grace, when we understand the purpose of God's grace at work in us, then this should affect everything about us. It should affect the way that we live. It should absolutely affect the way that we pray. Listen, one of the I, I'm not, I'm, I don't pray nearly like I should, but one of the most common prayers is, God, be gracious to me. God, be gracious. God, pour that out on me so that I can have that in abundant supply for those around me. Be gracious. Do your work in me. This should change the way we live, the way we love, the way we work, the way we evangelize, the way we forgive, the way we engage those with differences, the way we care for those um, that need to be cared for, the way we need compassion for those that need compassion, because all of that must come to us from Jesus. I'll end with two quick illustrations. The first is of John Wesley. Talked about John Newton, now I'll mention John Wesley. He was a man who knew the purpose, the pardon, and the power of grace. It had changed him through and through to live for Christ and His glory. And this is what he said. He said, I want the whole Christ for my Savior. I want the whole Bible for my book. The whole church for my fellowship. And the whole world for my mission field. That's what the transforming grace of God does. It changed everything about him, his scope, his life, his ministry. And Martin Luther said this about the power of God's grace. Martin Luther said, it is not within man's doing or ability to be anything. He uses the illustration of a pastor, to be or to make this. He says, it is a heavenly gift. He says, whatever I am and can do and whatever I have and present is and shall be nothing but by the grace of God. So this morning, I want you to take an inventory of yourself and just go, where do I see God's grace at work in my own life? And is that producing in me humility and graciousness and gratitude? And is it shaping me to be more like Jesus? Or are you looking at yourself going, I can't say like Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's by my own doing, I am what I am. We're to be people who understand all of our lives in relation to the grace of God given to us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak now to us as we continue in worship. Father, as we have a time of invitation, I pray specifically for those who do not know Jesus and have never experienced the power and the pardon of your grace. Father, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Father, I pray that today they would recognize their complete need of Jesus and, and their only hope of eternity is to fall on the grace and mercy of Christ. And Father, I pray for the rest of us, Father, that we would not, who have begun by grace, who have begun by the Spirit, try to progress by works of the law or by our own effort and our own attitudes but, Father, we would fall continuously, day by day, on your grace. May it be effectual, may it not be vain towards us, but may it ignite a passion in us for your purposes and for your global mission to make Jesus known. Father, we ask this in Christ's name.